Let's pray. Oh God, we've come to the cross. Our praise team has led us here. It is at the foot of Calvary. We're ready. What is it you have to say? Oh God, hide my voice and all the other noises and have full access to every thinking mind and worshiping heart. We pray together in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's a question for you. How long should a marriage last? Hmm? What I mean is when you turn a marriage upside down and you see best to buy before, what's the date on it? What kind of shelf life does a marriage have? I'm going to share with you two stories, and then I'm going to ask you to answer the question. How long should a marriage last? Story number one. Boy, here's a love story for you. It started when she was 13 and he was 18, but it lasted until the age of 99. Wow. He died just a few weeks ago. Who are you talking about? Let me put him on the screen for you. Come on. You know who this is. This is Queen Elizabeth II, the monarch of the British Empire, so to speak. And this is her knight in shining armor, her prince, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. Royal watchers say that uh, they weren't real comfortable with the public role they had. They were private about displays of affection, but the same royal watchers tell us that they were very happy in their marriage. In fact, their marriage, get this, lasted 73 years, the longest marriage in the history of the British monarchy, 73 years. And when Prince Philip died a few weeks ago, the queen, Queen Elizabeth, on the royal family's Instagram page, released this statement. Speaking of her prince, her life companion, he has, quite simply, been my strength and stay all these years. And I and his whole family and this and many other countries owe him a debt greater than he would ever claim or we shall ever know. That is profound and beautiful. And they lived happily ever after. Stories written in England end with that line, don't they? But come to think of it, that love story is a story of every marriage on this planet because if you're the child of the king and you marry someone, the princess is marrying a prince. If you're the child of a king, of course. And they lived happily ever after until death do us part. Wow. <laughs> That's story number one. Here comes story number two. I found this note tucked under my windshield wiper. The services are over. I'm going out to my car to go home for dinner on a Sabbath afternoon. And here's the note. Thank you for your sermon on how to choose the right partner in marriage. My husband and I will be in divorce court on Monday. I had an affair two years ago, and it seems we have never been able to get over it. And they lived happily ever after? Apparently not. So I ask you the question now after these two stories. How long is a marriage supposed to last? Maybe we ought to ask Jesus. Let's go to what the singers were just singing about a moment ago. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. 
The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. The words aren't going to be on the screen, so you're going to follow along with your device or your Bible, please. Luke, chapter 23. Let's go to Calvary. Let's go to the cross for a moment. We've got a question to ask Jesus, and we need his help. Let's drop down in Luke 23 to verse 26. And as the soldiers led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And they put the cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. Verse 27, and a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For listen, if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Let's ISO that line, that prayer that Jesus just prayed. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful, Lord. You gotta understand that there is there is that that is some gutsy prayer to pray. I mean, please excuse me. I know this is a very difficult moment for you, but what is this business of saying? For they don't know what they are doing. Are you kidding? This is an egregious assault on your dignity. They have just broken you in public, and they don't know what they're doing. Your commitment to humanity. Your covenant of relentless love just ground on the, under the boot of that Roman heel? My Lord, Father, forgive them? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What's all this have to do with marriage? If marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman, between a prince and a princess, I like the profound way Timothy Keller has defined that covenant. This is good. I put it on the screen for you. The essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of, what's this word right here? Future love. It doesn't read a promise of present love because that's what everybody does well at a wedding. Everybody is heady and high on present love. Man, we got love oozing out the doors here whenever we have a wedding in this sacred space. That's not what marriage is a promise of. It's a promise of future love. A love you cannot see yet. A love you cannot know yet. A love like the, the love Stephen Curtis Chapman in that wonderful song of his, I Will Be Here. You ever hear that song? That's a beautiful song. We had him sing it. Some friends of ours sang it at our daughter's wedding right here. I will be here. Oh, I got, I got the words right here. Tomorrow morning, if you wake up and the sun does not appear, I, how's it go? I will be here. If in the dark we lose sight of love, hold my hand and have no fear, because 
I, I will be here. You know what we just sang? We're singing about future love. I will be here. Tomorrow morning if you wake up and the future is unclear. I, I will be here. As sure as seasons are made for change, our lifetimes are made for years. So I, I will be here. This is my favorite part coming up right here. I will be here. You can cry on my shoulder. Here it comes. When the mirror tells us we're older. What's up with those mirrors? <laughs> Where do you get mirrors like this to tell you you're older? Come on, leave me alone, mirror. I'm still young. I'm not older now. Look at her. She's not older either. I love this line. When the mirror tells us we're older, I will hold you. This is a promise of future love. I will hold you, girl. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what I look like. I hope you feel the same way about me. I will hold you and I will be here to watch you grow in beauty because women grow in beauty the older they get. I'm just telling you. And, to all, and tell you all the things you are to me, I will be here. Mm. And then I will be true to the promises I have made to you and the one who gave you to me, I will be here. I love that because that is a beautiful illustration of the promise of future love. Now the deal is, and we remember this, Somewhere along the way as the months and the years roll by, the very nature of a covenant has embedded within it the possibility. I did not say the probability. The word is the possibility that the covenant made can become the covenant broken, right? Marriage is a promise of future love. But here's the deal. And I hope you never forget this. The truth is marriage can survive anything except that which is not forgiven. I'm going to leave that hanging in front of your eyes so that you just brood on that for a few moments. Marriage can survive anything except that which is not forgiven. Marriage can survive cancer. I got good news for you. It really can. Marriage can survive children. <laughs> Marriage can survive bankruptcy. Marriage can survive loss of employment. Marriage can survive loss of love, loss of affection, loss of sex. Marriage can even survive divorce. I have seen marriages come up out of the dust of the grave to be restored, resurrected. Marriage can survive anything except that which is not forgiven. Wow. Marriage can survive an awful lot, come to think of it. The only way to extend that forgiveness there on the screen is to intercede before God himself with the words of Jesus himself. Father, forgive her. Father, forgive him. He didn't know. She didn't know what she was doing. I'm telling you, that's a gutsy prayer. No matter who prays it, marriage can survive anything except that which is not forgiven. Well, that was the truth of Calvary. Jesus goes through hell on that cross. He could not, he could not, he could not have survived it without that prayer. 
the heinous way, the brutal way he is treated by the people he has come to save, the broken relationships with his disciples. Every covenant in the world, in the book, has been broken, broken. And yet he prays, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That's the only way Calvary has any meaning at all, is that radical prayer for forgiveness. Jesus' covenant to save the human race. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's nobody here that is not in desperate need of that forgiveness Jesus offers. Nobody here. It's the same for our marriages, by the way. Somebody has to pray this crimson. Somebody has to pray this crushing prayer of forgiveness if that marriage is going to be saved in the end. And, of course, that somebody has to be the somebody that got wronged. Let's just be honest. Yep. And, oh, how we know it. Nobody is perfect in any marriage, not yours or mine. We all wrong each other, but we agree. Some wrongs are so, as I said a moment ago, egregious, so serious, they come close to striking a death blow to that marriage covenant. I get it. I understand. When I conduct a wedding, I ask these starry-eyed young nuptials, would you like to uh, write the, the vows for your, your wedding? And most often they, they say, sure, be happy to do it. But then I say, yo, yo, yo. I insist I am also going to read vows of my own. You know why? Because in the, in the blush and rush of preparing for the wedding, they, these vows sometimes get thrown together rather quickly, and there's a whole lot left out in those vows, and they're not promising, they're not pledging everything. Ooh, so I say I have my own vows. And some of you are going to stand in front of a preacher one of these days, perhaps sooner than you think. And that preacher is going to move, she will move, he will move into vows that are similar to what I'm going to put on the screen right now. In fact, when I do this at a wedding and I ask the young couple to turn to each other and gaze into each other's eyes, that's always a beautiful moment. And they say, now I'm going to need you to listen very carefully. And I'm going to ask you to respond at the end. And when I do that, by the way, before I, before I do the vows, I ask all who are married in the little audience... The little congregation is gathered to celebrate this wedding. All who are married, if you're married to the person sitting beside you, hold her hand. Hold his hand right now and renew your vows. If you're not married to them, don't touch them. Do not touch them. <laughs> not during the vows. We could be in trouble. All right, so here are the vows. There may be some variation on this in the, in the uh, wedding that you have planned Coming up, marriage vows, here it goes. And now, solemnly promising before God and in the presence of these witnesses, I will intone, will you, the groom's full name, have this woman, the bride's full name, to be your wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance in the sacred estate of matrimony? Will you love her? Will you comfort her? Will you honor her? Will you cherish her in sickness and in health, in prosperity or adversity? And forsaking all other, keep yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live. Do you so declare? Now, I tell the groom, memorize your response. It's only two words long. No pause. No thinking. Just say, I do. 
I'll go through that same identical script for the bride. What's going on here? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, 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 the vows ought to have a line in there. Keeping, it says, you know, keeping yourself only unto him, even when he has not kept himself only unto you, so long as you both shall live. Maybe there needs to be inside that covenant that you have pledged your lives to. Maybe there needs to be some sort of potential forgiveness in the event the covenant of marriage is broken by the other. I wonder how many people would be rushing into marriage then. Can God heal a triangle? So what are you talking about, Dwight? Well, you know, a triangle. I'll put a triangle on the screen for you. What's that triangle about? Well, you got a husband here, you got a wife here, and you got Jesus right there. I had a young couple in my office this week. They're getting ready to get married in June. And I say, listen, one plus one plus one equals one. That's God's arithmetic with marriage. You become one flesh with Christ and with each other. Can God heal a triangle? Dwight, there's nothing to heal there. Well, let me just, uh, let me just adapt this triangle. We'll put another human being in that triangle. Can God heal a triangle? Who's that another? I don't know who it is. And I don't need to know. But if there is a third person in your relationship, you created an untenable triangle. Can God heal that triangle? Hmm? Can he? The uh, doctor, Dr. Evelyn Miller Berger, she observed, oh, this is pretty punchy, but I'm going to put it on the screen for you anyway. Ellen, Evelyn Miller Berger, I have yet to know of a marriage threatened with the intrusion of a third party where each partner had not contributed to the triangle. Nobody's innocent. Can God heal a triangle? Hmm. Read the prayer again. Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Did you know that Paul takes... This moment with Jesus on the cross that we just sang about. And he drives home the promise of marriage to be made whole in a beautiful, beautiful way. You got to see this. I'd never seen this before. What Jesus just did on the cross, this prayer, Paul does. I, I need you to find it in your Bible. So it's Ephesians chapter 5. Cindy Google just read it a moment ago. Ephesians chapter 5. Drop down to verse uh, 25. So this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Hear the words, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Whoa, hit the pause button right there. When Jesus went to the cross, the people of God, okay, the church had broken every covenant in the book. All right, we talked about the disciples. They have broken their relationship with him, even his closest, and yet he gives himself up for that group of people. He gives himself up for the church that has spit in his face as it were. 
Paul sees that agape, self-sacrificing love. And Paul points at the husband and he says, yo, sir, I'm talking to you. I want you to love her that way, the way Jesus loved you in the church. Now, we live in an egalitarian age. I understand that. And wife, I'm willing to put you into the equation. But here's the deal. Somebody has to make the first move. And husband, you're that somebody. You have to make the first move. Somebody's going to have to take the initiative. Somebody's going to have to back down from that argument that is escalating into World War III. Somebody's going to have to say, I'm sorry for letting it go this far. Somebody's going to have to say, will you forgive me? Somebody is called husband. Paul is unequivocal. I don't care what the roles are in society. You are doing it. Whoa. There's no caveat here. There's no exception clause. There's no precondition. There's no prenuptial agreement. There's nothing here, but you will do it, sir. Whoa. Just like Jesus, self-crucifying love. But what's so stunning? You got to see this. What is so stunning is that when you do love that way, and you can't get the love inside of you. It'll have to come from outside of you, so that's okay. It doesn't have to be original with you. When Jesus love loves through you, three profound outcomes take place. Watch this. First, you're going to see how it takes place. These three profound outcomes take place with Christ in the church. And then we're going to take Jesus out of the picture, sort of, and put the husband in the picture and see how it can, the husband can bring these three profound outcomes into the life of the woman he is married to. Watch this. Here we go. So let's, let's read the verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I'm, I'm inserting the numbers one, two, three, so you'll see them right here. Number one, here's the outcome. Number one, Christ makes the church holy. He makes her holy. Number two, Christ cleanses her by the washing with water through the word. Number three, Christ presents her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Mercy. He's saying, Paul is saying, listen, guy, if you will love your girl that way, you will do the same for her. Let's try it out. Three profound outcomes. Let's put them on the screen. Outcome number one, you will make her wholly yours. That's the easiest way for us to understand the word holy. You'll make her wholly yours. Hey, girl, I'm all yours, and you are all mine. Is that clear? I am wholly yours. Mark Regneris, whose text we've been tracking off and on in this little miniseries that ends right now, he points out that... Every marriage on this planet shares these four. It doesn't matter if you're atheist, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, it doesn't matter. Every marriage on this planet shares these four expectations. I'm just going to read them to you. Expectation number one is the expectation of totality. I am all yours. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. It's the expectation of totality. Expectation, expectation number two is the expectation of permanence. Everybody goes into a marriage believing that this will last the whole life long. Nobody says, I need it to last six months. I need it to last five years. No, everybody goes in believing this will last the whole life long. So it's totality, it's permanence. Uh, number three, children. Everybody goes into a marriage thinking, you know, somewhere along the way, girl, we're going to have kids, right? That's just an expectation. In, in birth, 
with the new marriage. And finally, number four, everyone goes into a marriage believing that there will be sexual fidelity. You will not play around on me and I will not play around on you. You can be an atheist and you require sexual fidelity. That's not a God thing. That is just human. Of course, we got it from God. Wow. So Paul says, there are three powerful outcomes here. As Jesus with the, ch- the, with the church is going to be with you and your wife, you will make her holy years. Yeah, but Dwight, what if she doesn't want to be holy mind? Well, I suppose that could happen. It happened to Hosea, the, the, the uh, prophet Hosea. Uh, this is a direct quote, by the way. Hosea 3, verse 1. God says, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another. There's a triangle going on here, but you go get that girl. You go show your love to her. You win her back. You win that heart back. Three profound outcomes. Profound outcome number two, you will make her purely yours. I don't care what her past is. It might be a few weeks old. Her past might be a few months old. Her past may be years old now. But you have washed it. You have washed it. And she stands pure before you now. Thanks to your commitment. Three profound and powerful outcomes. You'll make her holy. You'll make her purely. And I love this one. You will make her beautifully yours. The most beautiful creature on the planet, I am convinced, is a bride. There's nobody prettier than a bride. I don't care what culture or land that you're from. A bride is beautiful. Husband, you're going to make her beautiful. Oh, Isn't that what Jesus does to us? I mean, doesn't he treat us this way? Come on, Steps to Christ. This famous quotation, page 62. If you give yourself to Jesus and accept him as your Savior, then sinful as your life may have been. That's the past. For his sake, you are accounted righteous. That's the present. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. The past is gone. That's what the gospel does. The past is gone. And that's the only way some marriages will ever survive. No, I take that back. That's the only way any marriage will ever survive is if the past is gone. Are you willing to treat your spouse that way? Just as if you had not sinned. That's pretty heavy. Just as if you had not sinned. Wow. That's the only way it can happen. It's through forgiveness. I'm telling you, we are forgiven. That song, I mean, that's the only way we survive. How did that note read that was under my windshield wiper? Let me read it again. Thank you for your sermon on how to choose the right partner in marriage. My husband and I will be in divorce court on Monday. I had an affair two years ago, and it seems we have never been able to get over it. I cannot speak to that marriage. But I can speak to your marriage, and I can speak to my marriage. A marriage cannot survive what is not forgiven. And that's, by the way, you're single and you're not planning to ever get married. That's, that's okay. Jesus never got married. But it's just as true for any relationship you have. Any relationship you're in, if you cannot forgive, if you cannot forgive, that relationship is over. Lewis Meads, the great New Testament Testament ethicist, 
and theologian. The most creative power, this is dynamite, by the way, the most creative power given to the human spirit is the power to heal the wounds of a past it cannot change. I want to hang that in front of your eyes for a few moments. You can't change the past. You cannot change the past. The only thing that you have power to do is forgive the past. That's it. If you say, no, I'm not going to forgive it, okay, you'll be broken too. Some people say, well, I'm not going to forgive it. I'm going to have a nice new start. Nope, you won't have a new, nice new start. If you can't forgive, don't you ever get married again. Why? Because you're going to do the same thing. You see, we have these categories, guilty and innocent. We just found out that in a triangle, there's nobody innocent. And that's the point. We all need the prayer of Calvary. Father, forgive him. Forgive her. She does not know what she is doing. Husband, wife, princess, prince, follower of Christ, your forgiveness has the creative power to heal the wounds of a past you cannot. You cannot change. Father, forgive them. They did not know what they were doing. I'm going to put one more sentence. This is going to make you feel a little bit squeamish now. But I need to put it up because it's the gospel truth. All right? Adultery is not so much the grounds for divorce as it is the grounds for forgiveness. I want you to remember that sentence, and I want you to tell it to a friend of yours. There'll be a time when a friend of yours will need to hear that. What are you saying, Dwight? That I'm bound to this abuser for the rest of my life? No, I'm not saying that at all. But all things being equal, adultery is not so much the grounds for divorce as it is the grounds for forgiveness. I mean, if Jesus can't forgive us that, it's over. It's over. The most creative power given to you is the power to heal the wounds of a past you cannot change. You can run from it. It'll be running right behind you. If you don't forgive it, it will track you for the rest of your life. Promise. I want to share a quotation and a story, and I'm done. First, the quotation, Desire of Ages, this classic on the life of Jesus. Speaking of, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That prayer of Christ for his enemies embraced the world. It took in every sinner that had lived or should live from the beginning of the world to the end of time. We're talking about the pledge of future love. Look at this. It's taken in every sinner that will ever live until probation closes one day. Every sinner is covered by that prayer. Keep reading. Upon all of us rests the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. To all of us, forgiveness is freely offered. There is no guilt, guilty versus innocent now. We are all culpable. I understand it's not the same, but we are all culpable. To all of us, forgiveness is freely offered. Can I get a hallelujah to that? To all of us, forgiveness is freely offered. J. Allen Peterson in his Marvelous book on marriage. He's a marriage counselor. 
title of the book, The Myth of the Greener Grass. The title just says a lot, doesn't it? He tells a story, and we end with this story. Somebody wrote it up, and here it is. I was 20, and he was 26. We had been married two years, and I hadn't dreamed he could be unfaithful. The awful truth was brought home to me when a young widow from a neighboring farm came to tell me she was carrying my husband's child. My world collapsed. I wanted to die. I fought an urge to kill her and him. I knew that wasn't the answer. I prayed for strength and guidance, and it came. I knew I had to forgive this man, and I did. I forgave her, too. I calmly told my husband what I had learned, and the three of us worked out a solution together. What a frightened little creature she was. The baby was born in my home. Everyone thought I had given birth and that my neighbor was helping me. Actually, it was the other way around. But the widow was spared humiliation. She had three other children. And the little boy was raised as my own. He never knew the truth. I have never mentioned this incident to my husband. It has been a closed chapter in our lives for 50 years, but I have read the love and gratitude in his eyes a thousand times. Somewhere in the Bible... The same same one who prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Spoke these words. Freely you have received. Freely give. If you have received forgiveness from him, surely there is forgiveness, enough forgiveness in your heart for her, for him. For them. Somebody may need to hear from you sooner rather than later. Maybe even today. Let's pray. Oh God. Wow. At the foot of the cross, we hear our Lord's prayer. We understand cognitively what Jesus is asking for. But my Lord, how are you going to operationalize that now in my marriage? Lord Jesus, only the power of your prayer and forgiveness can save some marriages right now. But it is not too late to unleash Calvary's self-crucifying love in his heart, in her heart, and recreate that marriage and restore that love as only you can do for your glory and name's sake. Amen.